Welcome to What's the Story? I'm Kim Burns, and I am here with Dr. Charles Garfield. Welcome. How are you today? I'm doing just fine. Thanks for having me. Well, I just wanted to tell you I've been wowed by your book. I'm going to put it up here for everybody to see. It's called Our Wisdom Years, and this is your 12th book, I understand. Actually, the 13th. Oh, number, really? Number 13. Well, yeah. You know, I just want to tell everybody, considering how much you've done in your life, that's probably why you're able to produce 13 books where some of us would be lucky to produce produce one. But let me just read from the inside of the cover that you're the founder of the uh, Shanty, an internationally honored volunteer organization dedicated to the care of the dying, the elderly, those living with AIDS uh, and cancer. Uh, the Shanty National Training Institute. Uh, it's, it's an organization that's known worldwide, the Shanty Project. Um, and maybe we should just start with that and talking about how you got involved with that to begin with. Well, I started out as a faculty member at the Cancer Research Institute at the University of California. I needed help in taking care of all sorts of people who were really up against it cancer patients with serious diagnosis. And what I did was I started a volunteer project, trained people, and then I matched them with our patients to provide emotional support, spiritual support, and the, the kinds of support people need when they're really in a difficult situation. So you uh, were at, uh, in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of California School of Medicine, San Francisco. That's correct. And, and you're still working with all sorts of different people. I know that throughout the book, you're talking to all people who not necessarily are dying. That's why I want to let our readers and our listeners know that this is really a book about way before you die. Even people who, I mean, I'm, I'm not in my 60s, but you talk about turning 60 and then going forward. And what I understand from the book is that you don't want to be that patient that's dying and not having fulfilled what their life's mission is. Can we talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. The book is really for anybody who's in their 50s, actually, who's anticipating entering what I call our wisdom years. And it's the result of many years worth of interviews with older people who are not struggling so much with any illness. Some of them may have been, some of them not, but who are really living one of the most fulfilling and gratifying periods of their life. And we don't know it. We, we tend to think of later life as filled with decline and debilitation and struggle, or we, we try to pretend that we're as good as we ever were and nothing has changed. Well, neither of those things are true. What I found is that older people are fulfilled in a way that's different than, than earlier in life. They look back on their lives. They look at their, their they review their lives and they ask what's been most uh, useful and fulfilling and gratifying for me. And how can I continue with those things that matter most? They, they're no longer achievers in the same way. Right, and I, a couple of times in the book you referred to those earlier years as the thinking years, whereas going forward, these years are more of the feeling years. So therefore, uh, the book is very instructional, instructional about you getting back to feeling 
what it was that gave you joy when you were younger and can you achieve that in the later years? Absolutely. You know, I'll tell you a story. It's a brief one. My father and mother met in an acting class. My father was the leading man and he wanted to be an actor, but it was the depression and it was not a useful time because you couldn't make a living. For 40 some odd years, he went into sales. He was a salesman. As soon as he finished his career and retired, he went immediately back into acting and became an actor and acted in all sorts of plays, did a great job. And I asked him, did you think about acting all those years you were in sales? He said, every minute, every minute I thought of the time when I could go back and do the things that I really wanted to do, the things that gave me the most gratification. So the, the big question is, um, why do we have to wait? Uh, I love the story about your wife, Cindy, who was rejected as a, a young singer, which so many of us have delusions of our talents. But later in life, she decided, oh, well, I can sing for my own pleasure. Uh, why do we wait so long? Well, I think people feel it's not practical that we're taught to be a success. We're taught to climb a ladder and achieve to perform well. Everything is about getting things done, to-do lists and schedules and all the things that drive us. And we don't think about where the greatest gratification comes from. And so we wait. And sometimes the, the most unfortunate thing is to be at the end of your life with all of those people I work with at the end of their lives and never did the thing that they most wanted to do. They knew what it was. But I also, what I found throughout the book, which was so valuable for me, was you talk about um, these old grievances that take root. And sometimes that really prohibits people from feeling like they can move forward. I mean, your, your wife's saying or whatever. But more than that, people who you have grievances with and, uh, and sad situations where people turn that into all sorts of bitterness. Um, you talk about a lot about forgiveness, and I'd like to talk a little bit about that because the thing I got most out of it, uh, actually two things. I love the part about looking at photographs of yourself throughout your life. I think that's invaluable for people. Let's talk about that. And let's also talk about the fact that, you know, there's this adage that people never change. People do change. People definitely change. You won't change if you don't do something about it. You have to be aware of what you want to change into, who you want to become. And that's one of the most powerful parts of our wisdom years. It's the reason I call the book Our Wisdom Years. We, we change fundamentally in some ways or can change fundamentally in some ways in, in later life because we listen to that inner voice, that still inner voice. The, some people call it the voice of the soul. You can call it the voice of your spirit. You can call it your inner voice. You can call it whatever you want. I like to call it intuition. But what about when you're older and you finally embrace whatever that talent or hobby is? Uh, what if somebody's standing in your way then? Yeah, well, it depends on what you mean by standing in your way. If they just give you negative feedback, yeah. understand that when people give you ne negative feedback, it's frequent when they seem like they're not rooting for you. It's because they themselves have probably not taken the risks that they wanted to. What they're afraid of is not that you'll fail. What they're afraid of is that you'll succeed. And what it'll do is expose their own lack of motivation in choosing those things that would give them the most gratification. So uh, be careful with those negative voices. They're very frequently a trap. 
Well, and I think that's really prevalent in so many relationships where people feel stuck and then all of that animosity is sort of cast upon the closest person, which sort of leads me to the elephant in the room, uh, the pandemic. And if you were to be writing this book during the, the current crisis, I mean, you know, California, I'm, California, New York, look, we're like the poster, the poster kids for the pandemic in the U.S., uh, what, what would you have said differently, if anything at all, about the way that people are looking at, I mean, this is a crisis resulting in death. Um, I'm sure you have uh, a lot of opinions on that. Is there anything positive about it? And what I would say is this, I'm staying home all the time. Many of us are staying home all the time. This is an, an enforced retreat. This is a chance to sit still for the first time, perhaps. What do I want to do with the rest of my life? However long that may be. How do I want to live? What is my soul calling me to be? And to not listen to those voices, those external voices that may be telling you that you can't do it. Those folks are simply not rooting for your success. Ask yourself the question in this retreat during the pandemic, how can I make the best use of my life when all of this is over? And, uh, we don't take the time to sit still. Now, we, now we're now we forced to take the time to be home and to stay safe and to not run around. It's, right. a, chance, it's, a, it's a chance to use this time constructively. You know, it's interesting, uh, doctor, because I had been thinking about people such as cancer patients, uh, people who are at end of life during this pandemic who have, I, I, I think neglected is maybe too strong of a word, but because of you know the, the lack of hospitals uh, you know in New York anyway, a lot of people have been uh, short shifted on on who's getting attention, and it's really that's been a, a big crisis in itself. Well, it has been. It's so interesting because the pandemic hits older people among right. the most vulnerable groups right. are older people, and I've been getting so many communications of various sorts from older people in response to my book who are saying that they now know what they, what they want to do with the time they have remaining, however long that is. And it's one of the reasons I call the book Our Wisdom Years. I wanted to make sure that people understood that this was a special time in life. Later life was a special time in life. And whether, whether we're all facing this pandemic and we don't know how much longer we have, and that's the truth, that's the truth of the matter, or whether we have many years and many of us will survive this and come out the other side. Let's come out the other side with some awareness of how we want to best use our lives. I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, one thing that I didn't, the, a word that you didn't use often, which I think is, is a good thing because you're more creative than that, but it's the word loneliness because so often the uh, later years, uh, the wisdom years are associated with a loneliness we know very well that the pandemic has caused great loneliness for so many people. So what if people aren't fortunate enough to be able to reach inside and really understand how to shed <laughs> some of the negativity and get down to the essence of who they are, they end up lonely. So what can we do for those folks? Well, let's understand the difference loneliness and being alone. Right. There's a big difference between those two things. You know, you, I, I, I'm alone a lot, working, writing, communicating in various ways. I'm not alone enough. I just want to point that out. 
You don't have enough alone time. That's oh, it. no, I do not. <laughs> Please. No, I, I'm hiding. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's interesting. You know, th this is a time when we can communicate in different ways. Uh, three weeks ago, I didn't know I didn't know anything about Zoom, what we're doing right now. I didn't know a single thing. Now, all of a sudden, I'm Zooming all over the place with all sorts of people. Right. Uh, connecting constantly. I don't feel alone. I use the telephone. I use emails, I Zoom, I Skype, I do all sorts of things that connect me with people. The question is, will you make the effort to connect? Will you make the effort? Write a list of those people you most want to connect with. And it may be people, I've been getting communications from people I haven't seen in 40, 40 years or more who want to know if I'm okay. And uh, I, I, find that, I find that just marvelous. I think it's so marvelous. In fact, I was saying, and probably out of bitterness the other day to a friend, that boy, a pandemic will really tell you who your friends are, because it is very interesting and surprising who reaches out to you. And then you have to take a look at yourself and see who you're reaching out to, which I, you know, I think is also a part of, uh, you've got that. And then are you going to be able to, I know you do a lot of um, talking about uh, breathing and getting in touch with yourself. And I would think that if you had this time alone, you know, that would be a great exercise for people. Yeah, build, build in a time in your life. We say this in the book a lot. Build in a time in your life that's apart from any other stress. And in our case, apart from the pandemic. And learn some way of managing the uh, stress and the excitation and all, this, all the difficulties I, I advise people to learn to meditate, for instance. The word mindfulness comes up so often in our world. Learn what mindfulness really means. It means being alone and happy, being alone and content. Learn to center yourself. Learn to get in touch with what those inner feelings really are. And you'll, you'll, you'll develop a sense of what that wisdom really is that's inside you. Later life is a time for wisdom. Well, do you think that mindfulness is the same thing of sort of tracking? Uh, well, it, it's interesting. Um, dementia, I'm just talking about dementia um, and seeing how the mind slips a little bit when you're older. Does mindfulness help with uh, warding off dementia? I mean, is that part of that process in your in, in your research? Well, in the research we've done, I'm not sure that I can say that that mindfulness will help cure or ward off dementia. But what I can say is that I have all sorts of contacts, colleagues and friends who are in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and in a number of cases in their 90s, who are sharp as a tack and who meditate, who have a mindfulness practice. Don't The images that you might have or I might have or other people might have for what it looks like to be in your 70s or 80s are old images that are out of date. You can be very sharp in those years. You can be extremely aware and have a very astute observations about the world. I have a 92-year-old friend who's writing original articles for publication, and he's, he's extremely sharp. So the, the images we have and, that, and the people we talk about in the book are very different. The, the old images of that our parents and our grandparents looked like and the, the lives they lived are very different than what the possibilities are now. 
Right. And I love that you mentioned a number of times that, of course, people, um, the, 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 the larger audience for this book uh, is you're, you're in your 50s, you're looking at 60s, 70s, 80s. But you really look at this if you're in your 50s, you got maybe 40 more years to go. And you say that a couple of times and I was like, yay, well, <laughs> that's great to hear. Do you know what the you know what the fastest growing population demographic in the country is? People over a hundred. No, that's the. I don't mean it's the largest. I mean it's the yeah. fastest growing. The fastest growing, right? And so you know you can you. I can't say that you can expect to live to, into your hundreds, but many people are, and many of them are sharp. Right, and I just think what what uh, troubles me are the the people that think that once they're in their seventies or whatever, they start thinking about the end when, and and that's really what's debilitating is just that morose thought process. Absolutely, and just expectation, belief. Right. In your belief about what happens will affect the reality. What if your belief was different than decline and debilitation? Right. What if your belief is I can really preserve a whole lot of my ability to think and to live in the world and to function and preserve many of the things about myself that I liked when I was younger and also have a strong internal sense, uh, call it a spiritual sense if you wish, uh, a, a strong sense of how to live this life with gratitude, forgiveness, and love. Now, I love the fact that you were a bodybuilder. You really did read this stuff. That's wonderful. <laughs> I think it's great. Climbing mountains, bodybuilding. So the question I have for you as an overachiever is, are there any points that you look at yourself and say, I was a bodybuilder. I was so fabulous. And but, you know, obviously you're fabulous now, but in a different way. So you just all take that into consideration and be grateful that you had that opportunity in your younger years? Well, here's the way I look at it. If, if I looked at my pictures of myself in my 20s and 30s and said, oh, my God, you're nothing like that now. Look at you now. You're nowhere near as fit as you are. I feel miserable. But the simple fact is I exercise five times a week still. I just do it differently. I do different things. I feel just fine aiming at fitness in the same way as I aimed at bodybuilding in the early days. It's, uh, it's not fair to me or anyone else to say I should be the same, exactly the same as I was back then. That's not no, realistic. But a lot of people make that mistake and they, of course, chase that youth and it's, it's, <laughs> it doesn't end well. Instead of saying, what, I, what did I lose? I ask myself, what is different now? What can, what can make me feel as good now as I used to feel when I was younger? What, what's your favorite thing to do right now? Right now, my favorite thing is to, to write. Um, my later life, my wisdom years is going to be, I'm going to try to invest in a series of books and I'll write for as long as I can write, as long as I can think well. And I'm 75, I'll be 76 soon. I seem to be doing just fine. And I'll, uh, I'll keep writing books because I, as long as I have something to say that's useful to people. I was amazed by the way that Amazon picked our wisdom years as the number one new release in the aging category. I love that. Look at that. Yeah, number one new release in aging. And uh, all sorts of people are connecting with me about this new book. So I must have done something right. 
Well, that's tremendous. I didn't, I, I hadn't heard that. That's wonderful. Congratulations. Thank so you. you just mentioned that uh, you're, you're part of the project is now getting folks to be able to stay in their own home, which of course would be such a blessing for so many people. I know economically, a lot of people can't, you know, they just can't swing it. Uh, I, I don't know if you want to comment on what happened during the pandemic where so many COVID patients were sent to nursing homes. And of course, in New York in particular, that ended up in a disastrous situation. Well, you know, it's one of the most unfortunate things that I've ever seen. It, it, it begs the question, that begs us to ask the question, why have we been so negligent with our older folks? Why have we been so negligent with them? Why was there not more testing? Why was there not more awareness of the suffering going on in nursing homes and elsewhere? Is there something about our relation, the relationship people have with older folks that allows us to see them as more dispensable, as sort of disposable work units, no longer useful in society? That is so different than who we wrote about in the book. That's not the sense I have of people in later life. Some of the great achievements in human history happened when older people contributed. So there's an enormous amount that can be offered by people in their wisdom years. I, I agree completely. I think one one of the main reasons, of course, it just simply has to do with cost. And when it gets push comes to shove and a family has to make decisions often they can't afford to do anything more than put them into a facility that is understaffed uh not not clean all, all of these horrible things that we saw and this was sort of uh the eye-opening climax of a disaster that's been in the making uh, hopefully we learn from that you're asking what can we learn from the pandemic right yes absolutely and hopefully one of the things we learned from the from the pandemic is that older people are valuable members of society. They can contribute as much and more than anybody ever anticipated. And they are, they are our fathers and mothers and grandparents. They're people who we valued enormously earlier in life and we have to pay attention to it, attention to them at this point. Interestingly enough, in other cultures, there are other cultures that revere their older people. Absolutely. Yeah, well, the Asian culture, uh, for an example. Exactly. Right. Now, uh, uh, before we sign off here, I, I'm still worried about the people who, they're going to get your book, uh, but what about the people that really need a, a network? Their kids aren't around, maybe their spouse has passed away, maybe they've lost some of their friends. Unfortunately, uh, you know, the churches have been closed. I think that's a you know, a huge outlet for so many people and such a great community uh, binder, but that hasn't been available. So, and also in addition to just your comment, is there a site uh, people can go to, something you can suggest if people need to reach out? Well, the one thing that I would suggest, and I'm making this suggestion to lots of people, get in touch with your the website of your local senior center. Many senior centers around the country are offering on, online services during the pandemic. And get in touch, see what people are offering. They, they may be offering connections between and among seniors. They may be matchmaking and offering those kinds of uh, possibilities available to older people. So if, if I were in that situation and I was alone and in my house, one of the places I'd go for 
advice, support, and ideas would be my local senior center. Right, I agree. Uh, and one thing I, I want to say that in your next book, what I'd like to see is a little bit more suggestion of some comedy. I think that this this is always the levity that helps people take a look at themselves and go, oh, why not do that? Comedy. Is that what you Comedy is wonderful. It, you know, it's interesting. I'm watching many more movies because I'm home all the time. And one of the categories of movies that's really high on my list is comedy. I'm watching all sorts of funny movies. Really, it, it just it changes the, your whole way of looking at yourself because you realize ridiculous is not so bad. No, it isn't. And in fact, when you laugh, laughing hard is one of the most relaxing things that you can do. Yeah, and also it's a good weight loss program. <laughs> Absolutely. It just it gets your energy going. Yes. yes. So, well, the, our wisdom years, everybody has to take a look at this. Um, and other books you can suggest from your library that you've written that might help people while they're, while they're home? Well, not that it would help people when they're home, but the book that preceded our wisdom years was a book called Life's Last Gift. And it was a, a book for family members who were dealing with the loss of a loved one, the impending loss of a loved one, how to care for somebody who has a serious illness. So uh, Life's Last Gift is another book that also did extremely well. People really gravitate, gravitated towards it. Well, again, you know, going back to the whole uh, nursing home debacle or people feeling lonely when they're not alone, that's, boy, I know that that burden, it's maybe not the right word, but that responsibility of taking care of somebody like that can make you very, very lonely. It's such hard work. It's hard work. It's, anybody who did it will tell you that it was among the most difficult things that they ever did. But some appreciable number will also tell you that it was among the most rewarding things they ever did. Right, absolutely. So any last words, Dr. Charles Garfield? We. Thank you for joining us. I'm sorry, the Zoom got off a little rough, but that's just me. No, it worked, it worked beautifully. As far as last words, just recognize the fact that our wisdom years are a natural extension beyond adulthood. It's a period of life that can be among the most gratifying years you can possibly live. Don't hesitate to, to, to buy into the notion that this can be uh, one of some of the most beautiful experiences you've ever had, the ones you're most grateful for in your later life. Right, well, I hope that California opens up suitably soon. In uh, New York City, we've got a ways to go. Well, I don't know how soon we are. We closed down first. We were the first in the nation to close. Yes. So we're likely to stay closed for quite a while. Well, I understand that early closing really uh, help save a lot of lives. It did, it most certainly did. Well, thank you for joining us today. I've been speaking with uh, Dr. Garfield, a psychologist, professor and lecturer, author of 12 books, including Life's Latest Gift, which he just talked about. Internized, uh, recognized internationally as a founder of the Ashanti Project, a widely acclaimed AIDS and cancer service organization for more than 40 years. Thank you again for joining me today on What's the Story? Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.